Hello, everybody. I'm Julia Boriston, and this is Alexis Ohanian, who really needs no introduction, because you're kind of an icon in this oh, world. Stop. I'll take it, though. <laughs> Hopefully my wife is watching in here. Um, <laughs> so um, there's so much we could talk about today. Uh, 776, your investments, you're known for having a lot of investments in the Web3 space, but mm. because we are following a panel on generative AI. I want to start there. And, and not only are we following that panel, but I've just had 10 conversations out by the coffee in the other building talking about AI. Is it a bubble? Well, obviously, AI has been around for a while, but this latest wave, um, this latest obsession with chat GPT, is it a bubble? Where's the opportunity? What does it mean um, for different sectors? So what's your take? So we've been lucky in being in this space for a little minute, mostly through narrow AI investments, uh, let's see, uh, companies like Flock Safety, Drone Seed, where they're doing very specific applications. Maybe it's computer vision, that sort of thing. But yeah, recently, not gonna lie, the last six months, I've had a lot of fun. I think like a lot of you all too, uh, messing around with ChatGPT, DALI, and seeing the applications, at least for the work that we do, I won't, I'll let you guess for yourselves, but a material number of the tweets that I put out uh, every day are actually generated with assistance, if not entirely, by AI. You trust the AI to... The, it, actually, this touches on the perfect, so yes to a point. So the last mile is still human. So, and I think this is emblematic of where we're gonna see AI change a lot of industries. It's this kind of work that does the first 99% Right, it drafts the tweet, but maybe it doesn't get quite the right emoji, or just it still needs a human to be like, "Yep, that sounds like me." And and I think we're going to see those applications doing a lot of the work of content creation, better, cheaper, faster, for a lot of us. We actually just hired for a head of content and comms position at Seven Seven Six, and a part of the job application was talking about how they would envision AI sort of helping scale the work that they are doing. And and I do think this is going to become more commonplace. I I would get nervous about investing in any company that is just a middle layer or like a wrapper on top of someone else's sauce um, because the value there is is really in not just the algorithms but also that that proprietary data set uh, but i think new stuff is going to come up i think it is yes it is a bubble but like a lot of bubbles in tech there is a really big impressive kernel of truth that is going to stick around and and really shift a lot of the ways we do work. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been talking to a lot of people, um, you know, in this world and also in the business world of CNBC, we're trying to figure out the impact. And the consensus seems to be that near term, um, it's going to have a lot less impact than people are, are talking about in terms of this bubble. But long term, the impact is going to be massive. Um, as you're looking at opportunities right now, how essential is it to be in this space? I mean, if you don't want those companies that are the layer, are you looking at how? AI is going to be disrupting um, even the, the sectors that you're in, such as health tech or, or the environmental space. Yeah, I think the, 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 the ultimate thing a user cares about is the user experience. And as a product designer my entire life, I, I really try to focus in on the why for a user. The user is not going to use something or switch to something because AI. They're going to switch to it because yeah. it helps them better, cheaper, fast, whatever the, 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 the why is behind it. And I do think we'll see some interesting applications that will apply probably a very focused solution to something that is demonstrably 10x better. Um, you know, if you look at applications for AI right now that go beyond just, hey, this will help you summarize a document, but instead doing really bespoke things. You know, I don't know what 
none of the, I'm not talking on my book in this case, but like I could imagine someone finally going after Salesforce in an effective way if they're targeting here, free startup idea, targeting a really high value sector of sales that is still largely dependent on either Salesforce or HubSpot and, and building in tools that just make uh, even a small sales team 10, 100 times more effective because the funnel management, because even the copywriting, the follow-up, all that stuff is just done better, cheaper, faster using software and allows a proprietary data set to exist because it's so specific for that industry, for that sector. Who knows? Um, but I am convinced that this is not just a fad and that some amazing companies are going to get built here. And, and I do hope to give solace to the folks who are you know, upset or angry or scared about our AI overlords. Uh, I do think we are still a very long way away from, from anything that is, uh, you know, uh, a sort of significant, you know, tectonic shift in the way that we work and the way that we live. Uh, but this is a significant leap and, and it, it's going to ultimately make a lot of the work that humans are not amazing at uh, way less painful so that we get to focus on the things we are better at and, uh, and certainly helping a lot of high school kids cheat. Uh, to avoid their high school essays. So now there's going to be a waste of time anyway. A whole bunch of tech companies that are going to help schools and teachers figure the out arms race. Yeah, it's not yeah, right. for sure. Um, so speaking of of fads, I will say, or or phases of the internet, and there's mm -hmm. this conversation, sort of, is this a tectonic shift? Um, I have to ask the same question about what's going on with Web3 and a lot of your investments, particularly in the NFT space. Yes. Valuations have come way down. You bet big in, in crypto and also um, in companies like Doodles and yes. Board Ape. What's going on in that space now? And what do you think of the readjustment in valuations? Look, winter is for the builders. I have been very fortunate having seeded Coinbase in 2012. I have lived through every single crypto winter. This one is no exception. What I look for is... Are, are people, real builders, building in this space? The answer is yes, absolutely. Um, company QuickNote that does, helps people sort of spin up nodes easily and quickly, had their best quarter ever in Q4. Amidst Armageddon, a bunch of developers still said, yes, I want to build. That's a great sign. Second, the, 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 the silver lining on the carnage is that it scares a lot of the charlatans, not all, but a lot of them, scares a lot of the scenesters, pushes them out, and you don't have folks you know, staring at ETH prices every day, uh, hoping that they'll go up, they're just building. So having invested through a number of these cycles, I think this is yet another, there's a new baseline now for adoption. There is a new expectation now that needs to get hit for a user. Again, it comes back to user experience. There's no person on earth who should ever want to use a thing just because crypto. They should use it because it solves some problem, it is useful, and even, you know, we rightly make fun of Web3 as jargon. Web2, similarly jargon. If you find old videos of me on YouTube from 2005, I was making fun of Web2 while also building Reddit. The reason Web2 existed was a technology called Ajax that none of you need to know about or think about. It was just some cool JavaScript that let us do asynchronous stuff, which just let you, like, it let me design an upvote button that could update a score without having to reload the page or post a comment. None of you needed to care about Ajax to get excited about Web2. And similarly, none of you should need to get excited about NFTs or tokens to be excited about Web3. But because of the speculative nature, because Web3 came about with all the Web2 infrastructure of people tweeting and whatnot, you got that hype cycle. This next wave, probably gaming. And I think the Yuga Labs team is setting a great example. I'm familiar with Dookie Dash, uh, which was their latest title. Um, like generating millions of dollars in revenue in weeks 
Um, for folks who are just playing a very basic in-browser game, uh, bringing over a great executive from Blizzard Activision, a CEO of the company, like, yes, valuations were ridiculously high. Yes, I also think many of these companies are going to grow into them. It'll just take longer, and they've got great, great cash positions, and now they just need to build. So and it's, I, I'm, I'm still still optimistic about it. You're still optimistic, but because this, this sort of drop in, in valuations came after such hyper-awareness in the culture, um, unlike prior crypto winters, there's a new awareness of what NFTs are, what Web3 is, mm. and how NFTs might be paired with, say, um, real-world ownership of things. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, there's an opportunity now to invest in a different type of Web3 company or different no. use cases for the ones that you're in now? I, now that you have this awareness out there? It, the awareness is a gift and a curse because, again, it's a... The technology, the awareness of the tech is a distraction. No one is going to wake up in the morning and check their phone because NFTs. They, they should wake up and check their phone because they love playing that game or they're excited about whatever utility that thing is providing. Um, in this case, I think the mainstream adoption is interesting, right? Starbucks has a big partnership with Polygon for what is essentially just a almost like a, a digital passport of proof of attendance for different Starbuckses. I'm not I'm too much of a coffee snob to go to Starbucks that often, but in desperation, I will. Uh, but, but you have something that for the end user is not, hey, uh, you need to check this out because of NFTs. It's, hey, you need to check this out. You love Starbucks. There are rewards for you know, visiting enough of them, what have you. And you now own that reward. Cool. Okay. Reddit, a company I'm pretty familiar with, uh, has one of the most anti-NFT crypto communities uh, and launched, also on Polygon, um, an avatar sort of collectible generator. The, the secret there, no weird jargon, no MetaMask integration, just a credit card and the word collectibles. And folks lost their minds. Millions of these things were minted because it was in a language that people understood and it was about a thing that they cared about, this little snoo character that I created. And, and I do think that's the hook. So probably gaming, probably a more mainstream type of kind of next generation wave. I think fashion is, is an interesting angle because IP holders in fashion deeply understand the value of scarcity. We all already live in a metaverse. If we play Fortnite or Roblox and spend real money to get digital clothes, you could argue most of you who buy nice clothes and just take photos of yourself on Instagram, no shade, um, you're actually wearing digital clothes because more people are going to see that photo that you took of the shoes or the hat or the whatever than will actually see it in real life. So there's a there's a there's an energy there. Certainly, Nike's made big investments there, and and every one of those fashion companies knows how valuable the secondary markets are. But yet, every time someone posts a pair of sneakers on Goat or StockX, Nike makes exactly zero dollars from that transaction. Crypto actually does solve that. So I'm excited. The hype is gone. I'm excited that people are now cynical and jaded and skeptical if they're not bought in, because it just means. You got you to deliver. You got to build something that people want. I want to ask about some of the sectors that you're really interested in, but we talked about hype cycle. So, and you mentioned Instagram. So I have to ask about the yeah. metaverse. Yeah. What do you think about that hype cycle? And and Meta and Facebook's oh, pivot Facebook to be Meta. That's I mean, like, is there road. betting bid on betting big on the metaverse? Yeah, yeah. I, I it feels like betting big on AOL as being the internet. Uh, a few decades ago. I still, my mom, bless her, uh, kept a couple of those CDs, 
those AOL CDs where there was stuff on those devices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, you know, AOL's vision of the internet was not one that I think any of us really wanted, right? Because it was a cloistered, sort of walled garden type internet. I think, unfortunately, Zuck's vision for the metaverse is, is kind of similar. And uh, look, I, I appreciate the big swing. I appreciate not having to think quarter to quarter like a lot of public company CEOs do. But I would not, I'm not like I'm not a macro public stock guy, but I, I'm not excited or bullish about it at all. So while you are well known for your investments in the NFT space, people may be less familiar with your investments in the environmental space and also the oh. health tech space. So talk to us about your thesis in, in focusing on companies with an, an environmental mission in addition to the other things they're doing. I Look, this is, yes, yes, obviously we have been ravaging our planet for way too long. Yes, there is a real business opportunity here now, and I'm, I'm excited about all those things. I learn everything I learn from the best founders who show up and say, I want to start a company. I want to pitch you. That's where I get the education. The best, some of the best founders that we're meeting over the last few years are building on climate. And some of them are doing things like, I talked about drone seed, which scales reforestation. Some are just doing pure software businesses like, uh, like Alcove that are just carta for carbon credits. Like you're seeing really fired up young people who feel the existential dread of all the mistakes that we made uh, and realizing they got to do something about it. They want to build a multi-billion dollar business as a result. I am so inspired by them and so motivated by them. Uh, and they have that extra bit of mission where like, you know, 20 years ago, we were telling people like, yeah, join our company and we'll change the world. And what we didn't know is how bad uh, it would be changed by a lot of the things we were building. Um, these are founders who actually can look there uh, employees in the eye and say, no, we have a very clear mission. You should come work here, spend your life building something that will have a real impact. So very bullish on climate tech and has that counter cyclical nature to it, which, which we love. Um, and my partner, Caitlin, who's here, founding partner of the firm, has really taken the lead on, on uh, the climate tech, uh, many of the climate tech deals, as well as on the health tech side. I, my favorite, and I, I've seen a few of my friends there from, uh, from Roe, uh, Roe is a, a great early investment that I was lucky enough to make a, a minute ago. And seeing that telehealth wave, I'm just sitting here awestruck. And then COVID hits and obviously gets even bigger. And at some point during this, my partner, Kaylin, is like, hey, uh, this is going to sound crazy. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know, half the population are women. And I was like, yeah, you're yeah, a really good point. Uh, half the population are women. And, uh, and they do have fundamentally different uh, bodies. Uh, okay, yeah, also true. And, and they control all household spending, but especially in health. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, maybe, just maybe, there are many billion-dollar companies to be built uh, serving uh, women. And, and Caitlin's meme is, free, is, is from womb uh, to tomb. This idea of the entire life of women is something that has been so underserved in healthcare. And even recently, so much of it has been around fertility, which is great. Lots of important progress to be made there. But we've found investments all along the, the, the sort of life from, from early uh, hormones and hormonal tracking like Avia to all the things, not just with fertility, but also infertility and postpartum and loss to premenopause to menopause. These are massive business opportunities where, again, half of the population is living them. That half of the population controls household spending and makes the healthcare decisions and has been notoriously underserved. 
because dudes who look like me were building all the health businesses for the last, whatever, hundreds of years. So, so I think tremendous opportunities there. And I'm, I'm just sitting here with a front receipt to him being like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Like, yes, we, we need to invest here. Not again, not because it feels good, uh, because it's more than likely going to make a lot of money. And in a, in a way we can be proud of, but, uh, I think I think these are opportunities, especially now with with whatever whatever this economy is going through over the next few years. We are optimizing for sectors that we think are going to be either countercyclical or fairly immune to whatever craziness is going on. And you know, the environment certainly with IRA now, um, the Inflation Reduction Act. There's going to be dollars moving into this space that seem pretty solid. Uh, and you know, people's health it doesn't really care about the economy. It's uh, just we're all getting older every day, and we need <laughs> we need to build for that. Um, and certainly an underserved opportunity in that Hugely. that femtech space, if if we can call it that. So, um, big picture, in light of all these things, what yeah. are you seeing in terms of valuations right now? Obviously, the IPO market has shut. So, yeah, what's going on in terms of your your timeline and how you're you're looking for opportunities, or how is it has it changed? We, you know, uh, I'm certainly sitting on a lot of Reddit stock. Uh, I would love to see go public, Instacart, some others. The, the good news is, because 776 is only a few years old, we're not terribly affected. Our, you know, we're early stage yeah. investors, so our oldest companies are only at Series B right now. So we, we, we're, we're timed well there, not by anything we did. Um, but valuations have definitely, definitely come back down to where they were a few years ago, sort of before the 0% interest rates and everything else got, got out of whack. Um, and the nice thing is, it reminds me a lot. I was a YC partner in 0809 after the housing crisis i remember when pg told all the yc founders there may not be any investors at demo day and it was a very awkward yc dinner because all these founders are sitting there like the whole point of yc is you go through and have this demo day where all these founders follow themselves or investors follow themselves to try to invest in you and he said there may not be anyone because things are bad and that instilled something in the DNA of those companies and probably the next, it was the next few batches that forced them to know there may not be a round of funding. Uh, there may not be light at the end of the tunnel. And all you can do as a CEO is, is build a product that people love, keep your burn as, as low as possible, and, and charge money for the thing that you're making. And so you got Stripe, you got Airbnb, you got generational companies that came out of that pain and, and so there is a part of me, especially as an early stage investor, that is looking forward to right now because the sobriety of the CEOs we meet today is unmatched. It does remind me of that, that last batch. And, um, and then I think even the later stage folks who had plans to IPO, let's say in April <laughs> of last year, um, you know, they've had, to, they've had to take a hard look at where they're spending money and, and had to take a hard look at, at plans and, and whatnot. And, you know, I think... Everyone has at this point found religion uh, again, and and as painful as those cuts are, as painful as all this is, it does create it do, that 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 you know that difficult layoff could be the thing that inspires that person to say, you know what, to hell with it, I'm starting this company. I, I wasn't even happy at Company X. This is going to be my life's work. This is what I need to do. And so, look, it's these are the cycles of the economy, and this brings new growth, and I'm here for it. Yeah, and there's certainly, and going back to even prior recessions, have been amazing generational companies that have come out of them. Um, I, we, I can't believe we only have eight and a half minutes left, so I'm going to speed up here. Um, so you were just telling me backstage that the thing that you're most excited about mm -hmm. is not an outside company you've invested in, but in an, your internal product. I Talk to us about that. I, people, I, okay, it, 
it, my, the team teases me because I talk about how 776 is a tech company that deploys venture capital. But Cerebro is, it's the operating system that, that I've, I've designed and that we've built. I, I really believe it's going to be my, my magnum opus. Like I'm, I'm proud of creating Reddit, all things considered. Uh, as a product creator, but I really believe this is this is the thing that, that will be my legacy. And quite simply, I, I want to build the best operating system, not just to run our firm, but also support our founders. And over time, really start to identify where the superheroes are in the world. For those of you who understood that Cerebro reference, uh, that is Professor X's supercomputer that he uses. So he's a telepathic mutant. Um, he uses Cerebro to amplify his powers to be able to connect telepathically with every superhero in the world. And so that is the, you know, <laughs> the pseudoscientific uh, North Star for this. I want to understand the map and the network of all the highest integrity, highest output people, whether they are the best admin or the best CEO or the best engineer or the best investor or the best fill in the blank. And, and I want the rest of my career to be about connecting those nodes whether it's you know, funding their company or getting them hired at one of our companies or hiring them ourselves or just making those connections. Everything I've seen that has been just a remarkable company, a remarkable enterprise, remarkable anything, uh, seems to just come back down to you know, connecting the right people at the right time. And so if we can use software to better understand that and better scale that, I feel like it'll be a tremendous uh, uh, legacy to leave behind. And, that's why, I mean, I, I made the big switch when I did a couple of years ago, and I have, have zero regrets. And so the, the Cerebro is currently being used by your portfolio companies. You're going to be rolling it out to LPs. Um, you said that you don't want this to be a competitive advantage, and, but it's really, I mean, right now, it, I would assume it's a competitive advantage when you're, when you're investing in companies. Um, what's so interesting to me is that this focus on data and transparency mm -hmm. um, really ends up driving equity, ultimately. Um, and so talk to me a little bit about your, your focus on that and also on sort of building a different kind of culture. Look, I want to just bring the receipts. And, and one of the things I love about the work that we do is we don't have to be on an assembly line, right? We get to do our work in front of computers. And if I think from first principles about how to build the best firm, I, I want to build software that helps our people wherever they are in the country because I want to hire from the biggest talent pool I can. Allegedly, there are a bunch of VCs that would just hire from like a couple of the same universities. And... I don't know how you build a world-class organization. You certainly don't build a multi-billion dollar startup if you're just hiring your frat brothers. But you know, if you're hiring for performance, you're, you're hiring with open applications, uh, and, and, I, I, and then you're building an organization where people can thrive on their terms. They're given autonomy. It's high accountability. It's not for everyone, right? It's, it's a scary thing, I think, to be, for some people, to be in an environment where there is a kind of scoreboard for what you're doing. And, and there's some people, thankfully high performers, who tend to gravitate towards it. And there's other people, let's say not so high performers, who want that environment. Now all of a sudden you bring in async work and you get some advantages you don't get when you're all sitting around a table, aside from the access to talent. Now all of a sudden an intern can speak up and even come with sort of hard feedback on a deal, let's say, that I'm really into, uh, because it's happening with text we have a whole section that's called Steel Manning where it's actually anonymous. So I have no idea, no one, knows, no one knows who is giving this feedback about why this company is gonna fail. But an intern is empowered and it's about the written word. It's not about how compelling you are as a speaker. It's not about having to have the courage to sit at the boardroom and say, Alexis, I think this deal is terrible. You're able to get those words out in a space that lets you 
sort of let the best ideas win. And it helps me make a better decision because now I'm servicing all the best ideas. And, and I'm proud of the fact the majority of our partners are parents. Um, I want to create, a, this is a genuine North Star, is to create the best possible work environment for high-performing parents. Because I know if we can nail it for the parents, we'll nail it for the ones who don't have kids because they actually have lives. And then if I want, again, the best people possible, turns out a lot of great performers have children, and we should want that. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> and, and if we can create an environment, because again, I don't need folks to be on an assembly line from nine to five. If you got a soccer practice you got to go to, great. Our work is default async because most things don't need a live meeting. Most of the work we do doesn't need that. And if it does, it gets scheduled, fine. But I'd rather encourage and create an environment where you know, the, the, what matters most is the work that gets done. Not when you do it, not, not whether or not you go to the golf game on Saturday with the boys. Like, I want to create a high-performance culture. I don't know how you build a world-class venture firm that, that, that doesn't have some clear idea of where folks are spending their time or how they're doing. Because we're in a business where you don't actually know how well you're going until, like, what, five, seven, ten years later? So what do you do in the interim? How do you know quarter to quarter who's performing well and who isn't? And it can't just be who you know has a great conversation with me about the game. That's that's not how you know who is performing. Um, and so it's all in the service of that. And if the benefit is I get to you know do my very best work, and also try to do my best as a husband and and, and a father, which uh, I struggle with, believe me. But it's important. And and I actually believe we can start to set a new normal for what it looks like to create a high-performing organization and one that says, yeah, there's other stuff we care about too. And it's not about micromanaging. It's not about a butt and a seat. Uh, it's about doing your best work on your terms and knowing why you do it. And, and yeah, bringing the receipts. Uh, you've talked a lot about the things that matter to you. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been publicly reported that you left Reddit because you really wanted to push for more um, accountability and limits around things like hate speech and the spread of misinformation. Mm -hmm. um, and you're leaving really push change at the company. Um, now there's TikTok out there, and today TikTok just announced they're um, giving more parental limits on the amount of screen time that teens have on TikTok a day. Really? Yeah, they're that's hilarious. Yeah, sixty minutes um, and giving a parental dashboard. So, um, and remember, no one's on social media before they're thirteen, obviously. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But so, I'm just curious in terms of what's going with TikTok and potential regulation. What you think should be happening um, in terms of the future of social media? Having having that been your your sort of history, yeah. when you look at what's happening now and what could happen in the future, what would you want to see happen? So. Yeah, look, a big part, and I said this at the time, you know, I had a three-year-old daughter and I knew that at some point she was going to grow up and ask me some really hard questions about what I built and why I didn't make some of the decisions I should have made or done them sooner or what have you. I do think we're going to have a generation of kids who are going to look back on this era of social media and be like, what the hell were y'all thinking? And I, oh, thank you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of responsible for this, so sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I think, look, like all things, yes, I love the idea of more tools and, and sort of resources and power given to parents. Ultimately, at the end of the day, as a parent, yes, I am responsible for raising my kid. I'm responsible for creating the sort of parentally imposed boundaries as well as the technological imposed boundaries. So give us the tools and resources to do that. Absolutely. The, the bigger meta uh, question here, though, is 
you know, I have, and I've spoken very publicly about why I'm so worried about TikTok as a, a device for the Chinese government to, to, to push us and further polarize us. Um, the, the challenge, the thing that I think we, the, the biggest thing we have to undo with this next wave of tech, and, I, and I'll say most, forget social media, whatever, tech that informs our worldview, uh, is figure out how to defang the virality that brings out the worst of us, and that is also not something that is codified in any document. The, America was founded on principles of freedom of speech, but not uh, freedom of reach. It's not my quote, but I love it. That, that reach, that virality, the fact that you are rewarded for being extreme, and we, we don't have to talk about politics, we could talk about sports, right? The, the fact that you were rewarded for being a Dallas Cowboys fan, which is a terrible life choice, both, thank you, thank you, I'm glad that got even bigger applause, is, is, is bonkers to me because you're rewarded by the fellow Cowboys fans who are all delusional, but then you're also in a way rewarded by all of the sane football fans who hate on you for being a crazy Cowboys fan. And so both extremes get the, the little uh, serotonin hit of the like and the retweet and the upload, whatever you want to call it, for living in those extremes. And so that is something that plays to our worst instincts, my own included, as you heard from my bias against Cowboys fans. <laughs> and, and, and we've rewarded... We've rewarded the worst parts of our human nature. And what that does, and you can see the ripple effects in our conversations and our polarization politically, um, some part of technology has to be that solution. I don't candidly know what kind of role regulation can play, though I have spoken about what we need to do about exercising uh, TikTok. Um, that one's a, a pretty clear line because it's not a US company. But I do think the, 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 the ultimate fix is one that just comes from more innovation. So yes, this is a thing we're looking for. This is a thing I know a lot of other investors are looking for. I hope even if we don't end up investing in whatever that next wave is, someone here in this audience does <laughs> and we get it uh, because the, the sooner the better. And, and, I am, and this is the last part, I know the red light's flashing. The part that makes me so, like the reason I love getting to do this uh, one, it's much easier than being a startup CEO. So I'm <laughs> very grateful for just being a VC. But two, these founders, these 21-year-olds who have recently graduated from UVA, like me, Wahoo Wah, they are so much smarter. They are so much more aware. They've lived, they're the first generation to have lived through the sins of my generation, right? I started Reddit in 2005. And, you know, for all the things we got right, and we got a lot of things right, for all the things we got wrong, we got a lot of things wrong, they have a very different perspective. They've seen it firsthand. They've grown up with, they went through middle school, high school, college with these things, a part of their culture. And they're able to say like, actually, this was terrible. We don't want to recreate this. This was a bad way uh, to, to have to think through all the other parts of life. And um, I'm, I'm optimistic because this new wave, it, it, they're fired up. And, and if we can also take any other lessons, every social media trend is really started by teenage girls. So, so pay attention to your young, young women because they are the ones at the forefront of whatever that next wave is going to be. And even though we're out of time, and yeah. I am going to ask you a final question okay. that ties into young women and also to sports, which Great. you just referenced. You have bet on women's sports. Big time. Because I got drunk and tweeted during a U.S. women's national team game uh, and, uh, and then got connected to the Angel City FC team. And 
Yeah, the rest is financial opportunity there. Not only important for the next generation of women. Yo, I am. I am. Look, I'm. You know, I'm married to the goat. That's why most of y'all are probably here. Uh, <laughs> and and so I saw firsthand just what would happen if, again, for no not because it felt good societally, but because it made money and got people's attention. What would happen if you had equal investment? And the U.S. Open is the perfect example of that. Thanks to Billy, obviously. Thanks to Venus and Serena. You had an environment where you could run an experiment to say, okay, let's take this sport that Americans don't have a strong opinion about. Let's take, uh, you know, once in a, you know, forever talent, and and let's see what happens if you give equal prize money, relatively equal marketing, relatively equal awareness, and you know, the numbers don't lie. Like even when there isn't a Williams sister in the U.S. Open. Uh, People are paying more attention in the finals, the U.S. Open, to the women than the men. You know, tennis is it is a sport known for greatness because of women. It is a sport in America that we love and celebrate and revere because of women. And I, it's the perfect example for what women's sports can be, thanks to those pioneers. And so, yeah, we've got an audacious goal because it turns out half the population are women, and Americans love greatness, and we have some. Very amazing women athletes who are finally getting some of their shine, whether it's soccer or now. I think increasingly we'll see other sports too. Well, I had to get in that last question. I apologize for going over. Thank Sorry, you Michael. so much, Michael Alexis. Michael Kasson's up next. And I really so appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much. <laughs>